Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So I'd like to take a moment, just a brief look, uh, at where we've come from in this series. Remember, uh, if you are here a few weeks ago, really maybe a couple months ago now, Dylan began the series in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God says, this is verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This was the original calling for Abraham. So God called him from the land that he knew and promised that he would make of him a great nation. But there was a problem even then. We talked about the fact that his wife Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. So how was he to become a great nation? In the ensuing chapters, God gives him the land, reminds him of the promise in Genesis 13, saying that your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Then a few chapters later, God reiterates the covenant in chapter 15. A few weeks ago, Graham took us through that passage. Remember God himself walking through the animals to ratify the covenant. And in verse 5 of chapter 15, God tells Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. So whether he was looking up at the stars or down at the dust of the earth, Abraham was to know that his descendants would be innumerable. Then over the last few weeks, we've been brought up through Genesis chapter 21, recounting the ways that Abraham and Sarah struggled with the prophesied birth of Isaac. There was Abraham's affair with Hagar, the birth of Ishmael, God reiterated the promise again, and finally Isaac was born. Abraham and Sarah didn't always act perfectly in great faith. But ultimately, God provided Isaac, the heir of the promise. And they had to wait a long time, decades. But God showed himself faithful in providing the promised heir. He said in Genesis 17, 21, he said, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Then it's reiterated in Genesis 21, 12, saying, through Isaac, your offspring will be named. So, if Hollywood were writing the story of Abraham, it could be finished. There was a promise. God said there would be descendants. They were going to come through Isaac, and now Isaac is here. God did the miraculous. He brought Isaac from the womb of a 90-year-old woman and her 100-year-old husband, and we could theoretically just go on. We could learn about Isaac, Jacob, their descendants, but there's really no more need for Abraham in this story. Abraham and Sarah could live happily ever after. Abraham gets to ride off into the sunset and let Isaac take over the story. The promise has been fulfilled. But Abraham's story isn't done. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22, which is arguably one of the greatest examples of faith in human history. In our passage today, we'll see Abraham act in incredible faith, and we'll see the gospel of Christ made clear. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that your word would work in our hearts today. I pray that you would give me grace to speak boldly and truthfully, Lord. I pray that your word would be working in our hearts pray that you might give us ears to hear your word and that you might give us just fresh love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2 say this. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It says, after these things, meaning after the miraculous birth and all this, and it should sound amazing to us. After all this, after all that God has done through Abraham, all of this, all the struggles, all the problems, all the worries, God asks this. The request seems outrageous, seems out of the blue. God finally provided the heir. Now what does he want him to do? Sacrifice him? Why? Well, verse 1 tells us why. God is testing Abraham. That word testing is written for us so that we might not impugn God's character or think uh, that God condones child abuse or human sacrifice, right? We don't read this story thinking that uh, God uh, actually wants him to murder Isaac. It's a test. Of course, this isn't told to Abraham, right? If you're in school and your teacher says, there's a pop quiz tomorrow, it's not a pop quiz anymore, right? You know that it's coming. You know that the test is going to come. So it's t- we're told that it's a test so that we're not in the dark about God's purpose. God's good and his purpose is to test and thus ultimately strengthen Abraham's faith. And given what we know of Abraham and the story, it almost feels like, like his final exam, right? He's had this long crash course in trusting God. He's done better on some assignments than others, and now he's got the final exam here. But I want to stop for a second and ask, how might you respond to a request such as this after decades of waiting? I think our natural reaction would probably be somewhere between bewilderment and outrage. But now let's read how Abraham responds in verses 3 through 6. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. So Abraham obeyed God unquestioningly. I'm always, even now, just amazed by those verses. Abraham offers no questions, no complaints, no anger, no fear. He just obeys God. It's almost nonchalant, right? He gets this command from God, go sacrifice your son, and he just gets to work chopping up the wood, getting the donkey ready, and leaving. But to this point, Abraham had had learned many lessons about faith. He learned that God is always to be trusted. Remember when God promised he and Sarah that they'd have a child in their old age, and Sarah laughed? Genesis 18, 14, uh, the messengers of the Lord say, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Abraham had learned that, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. He learned that taking matters into your own hands is the wrong solution. So he gets up, he takes Isaac, they're on their way, and Abraham and Isaac then separate from the young men who had gone with them. Abraham tells them they're going up to worship. I always thought this was uh, funny as a kid reading that he's going to worship, thinking that's just a really like spiritual way of saying what he's going to do. But it actually makes sense, right? He says he's going to worship because he's been told to offer Isaac as a burnt offering, an act of worship. Abraham is obedient and thus going to worship God. And I think it's important to note, too, in verse 5, 
that Abraham seems to expect he and Isaac are going to come back. They said, we're going to go up and worship, and we're going to come back to you again. The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews really helps us understand this comment. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19 say this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but at this point in the story, through verses 1 through 6, it helps us understand the mindset of Abraham. See, God had already worked miracles in his life, like the the womb of his, his wife. So two seemingly contradictory things can be said about Abraham at this point. First, he's going to obey God and go to the mountain and kill his son. Yet second, he believed that he and Isaac would return. He obeyed God unquestioningly. And it tells us how he views God, not how he views his son, right? The text says, this son whom you love. Isaac was the one who the promise was supposed to come through. He had been prayed for, promised. He'd been long waited for, for decades. Not to be flippant about the the love of a child, but if there was ever a child that Abraham needed to live, it was Isaac. This was who all the promises were going to come through. Um, This was who God had said your offspring will be named. So how could he do this? And it should... Uh, amplify for us his love for God and see how greatly he loved God. And you might be thinking, well, couldn't God have done it another way? Wasn't there another way he could have tested Abraham? Why did he have to use Isaac? But I want to think about it for a second, right? Isaac, being the fulfillment of this promise, was likely that which was most precious to Abraham. At home, I have this gross old pair of flip-flops that I only wear if I go outside and do things. And if I was at home today hanging out and the Lord said, David, go sacrifice your flip-flops and throw them away, that would be fine. Easy. They're worthless. They, they don't mean anything to me. It would be easy to get rid of them. It'd be easy to sacrifice them because there's no worth to them. But on the contrary, parting with Isaac, sacrificing Isaac would have meant much to Abraham. Our faith isn't tested, doesn't grow, unless we do things that would make no sense apart from faith. If that which was asked of Abraham wasn't difficult to give up, it wouldn't be a test. It would just be a regular old day. I think in the same vein, it's important to note that this test of faith required action. We can say we have faith all we want. We can say we're going to obey God. but We can think we trust God pretty well. But as the book of James in the New Testament makes clear, faith is proven through actions. Last summer, as our family was moving, we had the privilege or the opportunity to go to the community pool in Indiana where Elise used to work. Uh, Through many, many summers, she was there as a lifeguard, swim lessons instructor, basically did every job you could do at this pool for many, many years. So it was special for her to be able to take her children there. Uh, One feature at this pool was a really big diving board. And as soon as David Thomas, who was two at the time, saw all the big kids jumping off the diving board, of course, he wants to immediately go jump off the diving board. So we told him, okay, you can go jump off the diving board. Mommy's going to go in the water. She'll catch you when you come down. It'll be great. And if you've seen any movies or TV shows, you probably know how this worked. He got up on the diving board, got to the very edge, looked over, and walked back. And he came to us. And if you know, if you realize anything about like two-year-old psychology, he gets right back to us, and then like the first thing he says is, I want to go on the diving board. Like, 
you, you, just, you just had that opportunity. Why, why did you not jump? So he told him, you can jump. You just have to trust. Mommy's going to catch you. She's going to catch you. Goes up to the edge again, looks at her, looks at the water, contemplates for a second, and then walks back again. And it happened a third time, and the third time he jumped. Now, he said he trusted, right? He said, yes, I know, mommy's going to catch me. But his actions demonstrated he didn't really trust, right? He said he trusted, but when that trust was put to the test, he didn't act. Finally, on the third try, he did. So, it wasn't... uh, Faith proves itself through our actions. If your beliefs don't result in any action... It might be right to wonder if you actually hold such beliefs. How do we know we have faith? Because we live our lives and we act based upon an unseen hope, based upon the promises of God, like Abraham. No, we're not called to sacrifice our children, obviously, but you and I are called to an obedience that is hard, an obedience that might look crazy to the watching world, an obedience that might even look crazy to some Christians. So do we trust God like Abraham? What do we do when that which God asks from us seems like more than we can handle? If you're thinking, I just can't do it, well, you're probably right. That's the point. God can. He's the one who Abraham trusts. He's the one who is to be obeyed. And what kept Abraham going in his faith was his faith in God who had proven himself faithful, powerful, and good. Let's pick up the story in verses 7 and 8. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So Isaac recognizes something's wrong, and he asks about it. So we're supposed to go up and sacrifice. Where's the, the, the animal for the sacrifice? And there's not really anything in the text to indicate that he's suspicious at this point. Why would he be? It's more likely Abraham's, you know, over 100, so he probably just thinks the old man forgot the lamb, so let me remind him. But Abraham responds saying, God will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. Abraham's demeanor once again shows that his trust is in the Lord. His use of the language of provision, providing the lamb, and the lamb foreshadow both the ensuing episode with Isaac and the cross of Christ, our sacrificial lamb. Verses 9 and 10 read, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Before we move on to verse 11, I just want to stay here for just a minute. The whole story is about to turn in verse 11, but I want to stop for a moment and recognize recognize Abraham's trust in God. Abraham trusted God. Getting to this point demonstrates unbelievable faith, to the point where he has bound Isaac and is standing there prepared to sacrifice him. It's genuinely amazing to me that at this point, Abraham has offered uh, no questions, no, no doubts. He hasn't turned around. He hasn't questioned God, and he's fully prepared to obey God no matter what. Why? He knows God is good. He has seen God's fulfillment of his promises. He has seen God do the miraculous, and therefore, he acts in obedience. And again, I know it's obvious to say he trusted God. It may not seem super profound, but if we let it sit for a minute... We can think about where Abraham is right now. All that's led to this point. 
He was called. He was told he'd be made a great nation. He took things into his own hands with Hagar, but he was promised that through Sarah, he'd have Isaac. And finally, Isaac was there. Yet he's standing over the promised son with knife in hand prepared for the sacrifice. To this point, he could not have possibly obeyed God anymore without actually going through with this sacrifice. He has followed God to the absolute uh, point here, to the final moment before the sacrifice. He's obedient and he trusts God. So now let's look at verses 11 through 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God is our faithful provider. The angel stops Abraham. The angel says that now he knows Abraham fears God. Of course, God isn't gaining new knowledge here, but we do see in a sense that Abraham passed the test. Abraham realized that God is the ultimate prize. It says, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. Isaac, like we said earlier, is what Abraham likely would have prized the most, yet he proves here that God is his highest treasure. This passage reminds me of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the passage isn't commanding us to hate our family, but the point is the comparison, right? The point is that our love for God ought to be so great that compared to those, the love of those who theoretically we love the most would look like hate, right? The idea is evident here. If your love for family is here, love for God should be ultimate. There could be nothing higher in Abraham's affections than God, not even Isaac, the promised son. Abraham demonstrates in a clear way that his love for the Lord, his obedience to God, is ultimate. His love for God surpasses that, even his love for the long-sought son, Isaac. After stopping Abraham, God provides a sacrifice, exactly what Abraham had said would happen earlier. God provided a ram in the place of Isaac. And this is such a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel. The text says that that the ram was sacrificed instead of Isaac. And that word instead is so important. Remember earlier when Abraham said they were going to worship? Well, you had to have a burnt offering for worship. That's the point. They were up on the mountain to worship. A burnt offering was needed, and it was supposed to be Isaac. But the Lord provided a substitute. The Lord will provide. He provided a substitute of the ram instead of Isaac. That's why the mountain is called the Lord will provide. God is our faithful provider. This shows us that the God who tests is the same God who provides. Remember, tests of faith wouldn't be tests if they were easy. They wouldn't be tests if you had the answers already. They wouldn't be tests if you could find a nice, easy, man-made solution. They're tests because they force us to act out our trust in God. But we can be encouraged because God will provide. Are you being tested today? I hope so. I know it's hard, and we probably don't know all the answers. It might not be easy, and in fact, you haven't been promised ease 
You haven't been promised that your big break is right around the corner. There'll be health and wealth and prosperity. It'll be great. But we do know that God will provide for our needs. He'll walk with you. As you walk in faith, the Lord will provide all that you need. He is our faithful provider. In the last few verses here, verses 15 through 19, God reiterates His covenant with Abraham one more time. Let's look at those verses. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. What an amazing, amazing section. His offspring would be as much as the stars of heaven, the sand of the sea. They would be at the gate of his enemies. They would be royalty. They would be a blessing to the nations. I want to note a couple things. First, in verse 16, it says, By myself I have sworn. God is making this covenant based upon himself. Like we talked about a few weeks ago in chapter 15, God is saying this isn't based on the words of some, you know, fickle human being, but by God himself. God is the one in control of the covenant. His word is good and it can be trusted. God is saying that his promises aren't dependent upon the fickle nature of Isaac or Jacob or anyone else, but upon himself. They depend on God, who is always dependable. It's also of note that in verses 16 and 18, Abraham's obedience is acknowledged. It says in verse 16, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. And in verse 18, it says, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham's faith, which was worked out in obedience, is acknowledged by God. What an amazing passage and what an amazing uh, restatement here of God's promise to him. I'd like to spend just a couple minutes now reflecting both on this passage, but also on the life of Abraham as a whole as we close this series. And what an amazing testament to faith Abraham's life truly is. When we reflect, I'm amazed at the reality that Abraham didn't have like all of this. He had the first 22 chapters, right? Remember in verse, uh, sorry, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that he considered that God was even uh, able to raise Isaac from the dead. But to this point in Genesis 22, God hadn't raised anyone to life yet. Abraham had not seen a human person die and come back to life. Yet he trusted that God could resurrect. He had seen God do the miraculous. I mean, he was 100 years old and his 90-year-old wife had a child. So he knew that God could do the miraculous and he had faith that God would fulfill his promise. I think it's also interesting in looking back at the life of Abraham to see his life wasn't a nice, neat, linear progression of, you know, he started here in Genesis 12 with a certain amount of faith, and it just grew nice and neat with no problems along the way. It was tested. It was tried. We read about him lying in Egypt, his affair with Hagar, but we also see God's faithfulness to the promise and his trust in the promise. One of the exciting things for me about moving from North Carolina up here to Montreal is that when I make stupid hockey analogies, I can kind of hope that people understand them. So if you're here this week in Montreal, you know the NHL draft happened. Any other big NHL draft folks? No? Okay, just me. Well, then I'll explain. When the NHL draft happens, uh, if you watch it on TV, you'll see these NHL teams draft an 18-year-old, 17 or 18-year-old kid, 
and you'll see some highlights, and all these experts will tell you how, oh, this kid is the next Wayne Gretzky, or he is the next Yarmir Yager, the next Carey Price. They're always compared to, like, Hall of Fame hockey players. They're 18 years old. Many of them, you know, they haven't done anything yet, but they're compared to just the greatest. And what always happens is you can look back, if you follow hockey at all, you can look back to guys on their draft day and see what the experts said, and it's almost always hilariously uh, overblown, right? These players who are expected to come into the league the next year and just be the best player in the world are in the minor leagues, or they're injured, or the coach doesn't like them. Things always happen. Now, many times these players do reach the NHL, they do reach their potential, but it's not a nice straight path, right? Life gets in the way. They have problems, they have uh, injuries, and in many ways, the life of faith is the same, right? It's not always a nice, perfect, linear path where we just, uh, you know, every day is better than the day before, and there's, there's never any problems. Our faith should grow. There should be a, an upward growing trajectory in our lives, but if we look at the life of Abraham, we can be reminded that there will be struggles there will be doubts, there will be difficult times. And in many ways, we've come full circle in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God asked him to give up his past, to follow the Lord into the unknown. And here in Genesis 22, God tests Abraham to see if he's willing to put his future, the promised offspring, on the line. And he does. He puts it all in God's hands. The hero of the story isn't Abraham, it's God. God made the covenant, God provided for the covenant, God swore by his own name, and God faithfully provided for Abraham and Isaac. The mountain on Genesis 22 is called the Lord will provide. It's not called Abraham did a good job, it's not called the unlucky ram, it's not called that was a close call for Isaac, it's called the Lord will provide. And just like Abraham did not withhold his one and only son, God the Father did the same. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His one and only Son. And as we close, I want to look back for a moment at Genesis 22.13, at the ram and caught there in the thicket. It says, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of Isaac. Instead of Isaac. As I've already said, that word instead is so important. It indicates that Isaac was the one who was supposed to be sacrificed, but God provided a substitute. God provided something in the place of Isaac. We've talked a lot in this series about God's promises to Abraham, but I want to ask you about God's promises to you. What has God promised you? What has the faithful providing God of the universe promised to you and I? Well, He's promised that you and me, sinners, can be right with God through Jesus Christ. Sinners, we are sinners who deserve death, sinners who deserve God's wrath. Romans 6 tells us, right, the wages of sin is death, so that's what we deserve. On our own, we can't escape that fate. On our own, there's nothing we can do. We need something to be provided for us. So it's so, so beautiful to see here that the Lord provides. He is the faithful provider. He has provided a way for us in Jesus Christ, who died the death that we deserve and we can be forgiven through him. We can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Like the ram that was sacrificed instead of Isaac, Jesus took on the punishment of sin instead of us. We must show, demonstrate faith in him. We must have the same faith as Abraham. In talking about this uh, connection between the promises to Abraham and those to us, 
Paul says this in Romans chapter 4. I know it's a bit lengthy, but in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. He's just talking here about the later Mosaic law, but the idea is all that served to do was show us that we're sinful and that the promise to Abraham was still in effect. Verse 16 says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which, good, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For those who have the faith of Abraham... If you're here today and you do not have faith in Jesus, I encourage you to put your trust in him today. God, the faithful provider, has faithfully provided for you, for your greatest need. He has made a way for you to be right with God. He took the punishment that you deserved, and I encourage you to trust in him. He doesn't promise ease. He doesn't promise a life of wealth or lack of stress or perfect health. But as we saw with Abraham, he gives something greater. He gives himself. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, be encouraged. Yes, Abraham was tested, but God provided for him. Abraham's story is one of an imperfect man strengthened and sustained by a perfect God. Like Abraham, we can look back on our lives and know that God is faithful. We can know that he can do the impossible. We can have faith that he will watch over us. This gospel message that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Jesus took God's wrath in our place, that he resurrected, that we can be right with God through faith, is not a message that we move on from or, or, or put behind us, right? It's a message that we must be reminded of daily. Each day we must look to put away our sin and put our faith in Christ. We must be prepared to obey our Lord each day, even when that obedience looks crazy and it's difficult. We must be reminded that this God who has been Faithful to provide for us in the past will be faithful to provide for us in the future. And he'll be faithful to provide for us today. Today, let us walk in faith. Let's walk in obedience and worship to the God who is worthy of far more than we can ask or imagine. He is our faithful provider. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.